Amen. If you would, once again, turn to Psalm 116. My apologies for my voice. There is an explanation for this. Uh, Several of you have asked me if I have slowed down a little bit, and my wife has put a choker chain on me. In all honesty, she saw this afternoon where one side effect of a heart attack can affect your vocal cords. So I presume that's what it is, and I've asked the Lord to enable me to humbly and accurately share his word with you. I do not come close to thinking that I have all the answers when it comes to helping brothers and sisters in Christ face the death of a loved one. I don't have all the answers, to be sure. And as I'll point out, Facing the death of a loved one is unique to the individual. One size doesn't fit all. Uh, it's not a matter of taking two spiritual aspirin, drinking plenty of spiritual water. And I, I say that reverently. Um, it's different for each of us. And yet there are some principles from Psalm 116 that I think will be very helpful for us. The title of the message is Six Anchors That Will Sustain Us As We Grapple With Grief. We just sang the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The author, Horatio Gates Spafford, was an American lawyer and Presbyterian church elder. Spafford invested in real estate north of Chicago in the spring of 1871. However, in October of 1871, the Great Fire of Chicago reduced the city to ashes, destroying most of Spafford's investment. Two years after the Great Chicago Fire, the family planned a trip to Europe. Business demands kept Spafford from joining his wife and four daughters on a family trip to England where his friend D.L. Moody would be preaching. On November 22, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on a steamship, Villa de Harbour, the ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel killing 226 people, including all four of Spafford's daughters, Annie, age 12, Maggie, age 7, Bessie, age four, and 18-month-old Tanyetta. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in Cardiff, Wales, she sent us a telegram to Spafford that read, Saved alone. Saved alone. Two short words that must have pierced his heart. But shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, He was inspired to write, It is well with my soul, as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. The first verse reads, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. And the lines of the chorus remind us that our present raw, suffocating grief must be viewed in light of eternity. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Beloved, Revelation 21.4 promises that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. From the Compelling Truth website, we read the following. Quote, Grief is a deep and powerful emotion caused by the loss of someone or something we held dear. Grief is part of loving and engaging in life. Loss will come in this fallen world and grief with it. Grief is not an emotion to be avoided, but one to acknowledge and walk through. End of quote. 
The death of a believing loved one means that their journey home has finished. Faith has become sight, hope has become reality, and he or she is bathed in God's love in the Father's presence. For we who remain, gratitude and grief can and do take up resonance in our hearts. And we can't just read some verses, as I said earlier, like we take some medicine and expect soul-deep pain to go away instantly. God's word is soothing to the soul. Yet grief is a heart wound that may not heal completely in this life. God alone brings peace and rest to the troubled heart. There's a verse, two of them, that I share often with folks as I visit them. It's found in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, where we read, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Brothers looking and sisters looking at the meaning of key Hebrew words in this verse, it would read like this. You will guard him with peace upon peace, whose mind leans on, takes hold of, and rests in you, because he hides for refuge in you. Lean on, take hold of, and rest in the Lord forever. For in Jehovah, the self-existing one, we have the rock of ages. And this reminds us of the hymn writer's words, The Lord's our rock, in him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. Secure, whatever ill betide, a shelter in the time of storm. Beloved, we do not know what a day will bring forth. And the point of this message is this, we need to be prepared to face grief personally and to come alongside those who are experiencing grief. At this time, we want to consider six anchors that will sustain us as we grapple with grief. The first one, rest in the person and presence of God. Psalm 116, verse 1, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. I love the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent one, is present with us. That is a mind-boggling concept that we need to think through slowly, thoughtfully. Psalm 145, verses 17 through 19 state, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. You're all familiar, I'm sure, with Jerry Bridges. And in his book, Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts, he gives the following quote. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. Let me read that again. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. David wrote in Psalm 9, 9 and 10, The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 7, summarizes this well, beloved. Casting all your care upon him. Why? For he, Jehovah, cares for you. Jehovah, who numbers the very hairs of our head, is the Abba Father, who hears the faintest whimper of our heart. This time I want to share a prayer of faith uh, with you. Um, 
There are two poems in this message that I ended up writing, and both of them involved death, the death of a loved one, or a trial. And I hope that they'll give insights and encouragement. A prayer of faith. Though testing often buffets me and brings my soul to tears, I'll bask within that blessed light that scatters darkest fears. When thoughts assail my troubled heart and doubts within me rise, I'll rest with confidence in thee whose peace will be my prize. Great Sovereign, who directs my steps, I humbly bow my knee and tremble at the loving touch that draws thine own to thee. Redeemed by thine amazing grace, I'll worship all my days. With awe and adoration, Lord, I'll joyfully sing praise. O Abba Father, hear my cry. Thy blessed mercy shed. When heart and flesh grow weak and worn, it's for thy strength I've pled. Encourage those I hold so dear who walk life's path with me. And come what may, grant them thy peace through saving faith in thee. Though sometimes faint from life's hard toil towards what might lie before, I see by faith each step leads to my home forevermore. Unlike grim strangers to thy grace, whose frightening end is hell, I rest secure within thy care, empowered to finish well. The second anchor, not only rest in the person and presence of God, but the second answer or anchor is request the privilege of God's daily grace. Request the provision of God's daily grace, verses 2 through 4. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Spurgeon has this to say about that text. Beloved Christian reader, in matters of grace you need a daily supply. You have no store of strength. Day by day you must seek help from above. It is a very sweet assurance that a daily portion is provided for you. In the word, through the ministry, by meditation, in prayer, and waiting upon God, you shall receive renewed strength. In Jesus, all needful things are laid up for you. Then enjoy your continual allowance. Never go hungry, while the daily bread of grace is on the table of mercy. The question is, folks, for you and for me, do we pray for grace ahead of time? Do we pray for grace ahead of time? Or is it an add-on? You know, the trial comes, the agony comes, the sadness, the grief comes, and then we, we pray to the Lord. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, and we're talking about God's daily provision of grace. Hebrews four fifteen and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we all know, Jesus was called a man of sorrows. And then under this anchor, finally Romans 8.26. We all are familiar with 8.28 that I'll reference later, but I love Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I will insert here 
uh, something about the recent heart attack that I had. Um, I didn't know, obviously, that that's what was happening. The pain that I felt was like acid reflux, burning. Uh, medication gave me temporary relief, so I thought, surely it's got to be acid reflux if I was getting relief. I drank a bottle of Melanta uh, that week. I had two, what I would call, significant events. One at the start of our trip and one the last day. And I can tell you, I prayed for grace. Um, I prayed for God to ease the pain, knowing we had a flight home. That was concerning. And he did relieve the pain to the point where... Um, when I finally got to see my general practitioner the next Friday, uh, I had not had pain for a couple of days. Uh, and yet, I, I distinctly remember praying for God's grace in my life. Have your will be done, but I pray for your grace. And we need to be doing that daily, beloved. Not only do we need to request the provision of God's daily grace, but number three, remember the promises of God. Keep your place in Psalm 116, 5 through 8. I'm going to read that now, but I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 17 in a moment. Let me read Psalm 116, 5 through 8 first. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my, my feet from falling. And then, when it comes to grieving over temporary loss of a loved one, beloved 1 Thessalonians 4.13-17 offers a promise that the unsaved know nothing of. Remember the promises of God. We who are Christians can revel in these verses, starting with verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as those, as, as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Remember the promises of God, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Paul is speaking to brethren who are placing their trust in who Jesus is, what he accomplished in his perfect life, his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection over sin in the grave, his daily, moment-by-moment uh, moment intercession for his own. He is speaking to those folks. Beloved, for believers, death is the beginning of joy unspeakable and full of glory. For believers, death is the beginning of joy unspeakable and full of glory. For the unsaved, it's the beginning of an indescribable punishment that we all deserve. And, and that ought to give us cause for rejoicing on the head side of this coin, and it ought to make us serious-minded in sharing the gospel on the tail side of the same coin. 
Grief is dealt with through personal knowledge of God's promises that are understood and consistently applied. Let me say that again. Grief is dealt with through personal knowledge of God's promises that are understood and consistently applied. Why do I make an emphasis of that? You can read information on a bottle of medication for a serious physical ailment. You can understand the potential healing that this medication can bring to your body. But unless you consistently apply that understanding by taking the medicine as directed, you will see no relief and no reason to hope for healing through it. Beloved, the same is true spiritually with a healing balm of God's word. Keep in mind that we're dealing, or healing is a process, just like medicine is a process that takes effect. I want to insert something here uh, before I go on. I said that grief is dealt with through personal knowledge of God's promises. This is nitroglycerin. I've had nitroglycerin for three years. I've had two heart attacks in three years. Please don't look down on me for what I'm about to say, but I'd heard about nitroglycerin. Take it if you need it. You, you will feel like your head is coming off. Now, I wasn't afraid of the headache. I'd rather have a headache and live. But the Melanta was working. The Melanta was working against what I thought was acid reflux. I had in my pocket the medication that would have probably prevented a heart attack. Now, I didn't understand that the way a heart attack, for me, expresses itself is just like acid reflux. So my cardiologist says, you have that again, pop one of these bad boys under your tongue, wait five minutes, that doesn't take effect, pop another one, wait five minutes, that doesn't take effect, pop another, and head to the hospital. I have amended that from my vast experience. If I have that symptom again, I'm putting one under my tongue, and we're headed for the ER. You know, I can always bring it back home. But my point being, all kidding aside, you can have knowledge, you can have the right knowledge, and it won't benefit unless you apply the knowledge consistently and appropriately. Two thoughts into this before I share one other poem. The big picture of eternity is the backdrop for the temporary trials and tests of time. Please don't let that go in one ear and out the other. The big picture of eternity. The writer of this psalm speaks of his soul several times. And we need to, we need to think of the soul of our, our loved ones who've gone on before. And hopefully and prayerfully, they're in Christ. But the big picture of eternity is the backdrop for the temporary trials and tests of time. You've heard people say, this too shall pass. That's true. Holding on to the hope of resurrection and allowing the joy of the Lord to be our strength will sustain us as we walk the long road of overcoming grief. This uh, poem, again, is taken from the loss of a loved one. Weep for a time, grief's tears that ease the pain of anguish and despair. Yet sorrow not as those who have no hope and do not know God's care. 
Death is life's final doorway to eternity beyond the grave. God's children rest secure by grace through faith in Christ, the Son God gave. Trust in the sweet assurance that our sovereign God does what is best. Amidst the soul-deep void of loss, he'll grant faith's calming, peaceful rest. Flee to him when confusion, doubt, and loneliness tighten their grip. His strength will help you do your part in his predestined, sovereign script. Turn back to Psalm 116, if you would, and this leads us to anchor number four. Rest in the providence and protection of God, verses 9 through 13. The writer says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. And let me insert here, that's a generality of gloom and doom that the writer is writing. He doesn't mean that every single person on earth is a liar, but he in his agony is just saying, all men are liars. And in the context, he's fearing physical death at the hands of these people. Uh, He's dealing with death that might occur, and what we're sharing is principles concerning death that we are dealing with in a loved one. He goes on to say in verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Rest in the providence and protection of God. Rest in the truth that God's providence for individuals includes the time of birth and the time of death. It includes the time of birth and the time of death. And lest I forget this, the Lord just brought this to my mind before the service as I was thinking through my notes and whatnot, and I don't have this in the notes, but it's a truth that I believe that you will all agree with quickly. The door of death for Christians, for some, swings on slow hinges. It can take weeks or months. We've recently experienced that the door of death for believers can take a second, can take a heartbeat. And my point is this. Rest in the truth that God's providence for individuals includes the time of their birth and the time of their death. We can rest in that, that he is in control. Three verses, three, three texts. Psalm 139, 16, And in your book they all were written, The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And I love Job 14, 5, Speaking of mankind in general and womankind, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Before I read the last text under this particular anchor, my brother-in-law, my oldest brother-in-law, uh, beat himself up when my father-in-law died. If only I had, if only I had, if only I had. When it comes to the death of a Christian, those words don't fit. If only I had done this, Dad would be alive. And my brother was sincere in that. He was sincere. I say this respectfully, he was sincerely wrong. If a person makes the comment, he died too young, that is an error. He died when God called him. If the same person said he died young, that could be the truth. T-O-O is where the problem is because it puts it back on us determining he died too young. Now, he died young in the providence of God. 
Another verse that I'd share is Psalm 37:23 that I have quoted many times. Uh, just to encourage myself, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he lights in his way. That word ordered literally means to establish, fix, prepare, apply. Figuratively, the word ordered means to appoint, render sure, proper, or prosperous. And this is what Spurgeon has to say about that text. Ever is this our comfort that all events are known to our God and that nothing in our future can take him unawares. No arrow can pierce us by accident. No danger smite us by stealth. Neither in time nor eternity can any unforeseen ill occur to us. All of our course of life is graciously ordained and in loving kindness all is fixed, settled, and maintained. No fickle fate, no fickle chance rules us. Our every step is the subject a divine decree. Amen and amen. And secondly, under this rest in the providence of God, I'd have you say, we need to rest in the truth that God has a hedge of protection around all those who fear him and trust him. Beloved, that hedge of protection not only protects us from physical threat from the outside, but it certainly can protect us from physical threat from the inside. Through the, Throughout this last two weeks, I have said, God, my body is yours to control. My body is yours to control. Have your will be done. And there's this, when we deal with death, there's this tension of confidence and dread. Dread of leaving my family, confidence that God is in control. There's that tension you know, and, and when we can come to the point and say, Lord, I want your will to be done regardless, we can have assurance he'll console our loved ones if he decides to take us home. Two texts, Psalm 34, 7 through 9. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. And I alluded to Romans 8.28, and this certainly would be a verse for God's hedge protection. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. His purpose is our salvation, our sanctification, our final glorification, and eternal conformity to Christ for his own glory. Beyond this veil of tears, beloved, we will enjoy the fulfillment of God's perfect providence for us. And then anchor number five out of six, resort to the people of God. Resort to the people of God. Verses 14 and 15. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's two things under this. First, grief is both intensely personal and public. It's intensely personal and public. This was written after my father-in-law's homecoming. And I can, homegoing, I can very distinctly remember uh, calling my wife, who had gone to the hospital in Fayetteville, to see how dad was. And... Uh, she told me that he had passed. I can remember going in the house, uh, knowing he would not be there. I can remember going out 
under the front stoop of their house and just sitting and acknowledging that I had never experienced the death of someone this close. Others, including grandparents, but I was adrift. And the thoughts hit me. Now you know how some other people feel. Now you know. Now, it's not the loss of a spouse, but my father-in-law and I were close. I would share this with you. Um, Let me find it real quickly. Yeah, here it is. Grief is both intensely personal and public. I sought to ease the heartache felt or a loved one snatched from out of time. I pitied homes that death had touched, but then life's foe invaded mind. The words of love and themes of hope that seemed so right for others' woes fell strangely then upon my ears as I endured deep sorrow's throes. Though loved ones eased the ways of the weight of grief, and I in turn held them more dear, Twas grace alone that let me see the paradox, seeming contradiction. Twas grace alone that let me see the paradox of joy midst tears. Assurance over doubts prevailed, though clouds of anguish lingered o'er. Face unseen beacon cast its glow and shed God's peace on me once more. Beloved, the psalmist vows public praise and prayer, and we're going to see that in verses 17 and 18 in a moment. Precious is the death of his saints. Spurgeon says the deathbed of saints are very precious to the church. She often learns much from them. They are very precious to all believers who delight to treasure up the last words of the departed. But they are most of all precious to the Lord Jehovah himself who views the triumphant death of his loved ones as a sacred delight. Wow. Who views... The triumphant death of his gracious loved ones with sacred delight. Secondly, grief must be addressed sensitively. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The Greek word for weep in this verse means to sob or to wail aloud. This is important. The issue is not volume. The issue, uh, the issue is not volume or public display that can be self-serving. Can I read that again before I, I read the second part? The issue is not volume or public display that can be self-serving, but entering into their grief with keenly felt sincerity and sensitivity to their circumstances. When Dad Johnson died, and I do not know the name of this woman. I don't need to know the name of the woman. I can see her in my mind's eye. I can see what she did in my mind's eye. Person after person after person came in, and Ma Johnson or Jane had to rehearse how Dad Johnson died. This is what happened. This is what happened. And then this candle walked through the door, this light that walked up walked up to my mother-in-law, looked her in the eye, and said, Alice, you have my number. Call me for anything. And it was the look and the brief sentence and the departure that let me see that was a true friend. 
That was a true friend. And folks, this is under the fact that grief must be addressed sensitively. We can't cold stamp the grief of people. We have to let them be themselves. And again, the issue is not volume or public display that can be self-serving, but entering into their grief with keenly felt sincerity and sensitivity to the circumstances. First Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians chapter one, verses two through four, Paul says, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Folks, you may sympathize with someone who's experienced the loss of a loved one, but don't presume that you can enter into or share their unique feelings or understand their unique circumstances. We can't. We can sympathize, but we can't totally enter in. The spiritual maturity... And emotional stability of every individual is different and has a direct impact on how they handle grief. And I'm here to tell you, understanding this truth is critical to true compassion. It's critical. The spiritual maturity and emotional stability of every individual is different and has a direct impact on how they handle grief. Often those who are grieving need private space for reflection, emotional healing, and to regain their bearings. I once had a widow, friend of mine, tell me, at times I feel alone in a crowded room. At times I feel alone in a crowded room. Why? Because he wasn't there. And the same could be said of a man. At times I feel alone in a crowded room. Why? Because she is not there. Now, I want to, we're nearly done, but I want to issue a caution here. Private time, if you're not careful, can digress into isolationism. Isolationism can stifle other important relationships and teach wrong lessons to young people. Isolationism, it can, it can digress and stifle other important relationships and teach wrong lessons to the young. This is, we don't want them thinking isolating yourself is the way to handle death. Isolationism can fix our focus on the departed one to the point of making them an idol of the heart. Let me say that again. Isolationism can fix our focus on the departed loved one to the point of making them an idol of the heart. Don't get me wrong in capital letters. Memories are treasures, but if they crowd out our devotion and active service for Christ, they go from being a blessing to being a blight. It may be, or it might make, it might make dwelling on the death of our loved one a hindrance to serving Christ if it consumes us. If the Lord takes my wife, do you think I'm going to think about her? Take it to the bank. But the best I can, I'm not going to make it make myself an isolationist or stifle my service for the Lord. The best way I can honor her is to continue serving. That's the best way I can honor her. Be biblical in your encouragement. Paul wrote, therefore comfort one another with these words, the word of God. And I must say this because I've heard it so many times and you have too. 
Well-meaning folks may try to offer consolation by sharing ridiculous statements like, well, Henry's up there fishing with Uncle Harvey. Have you ever heard something similar to that? The truth is Henry's body is in the grave, and if he's a believer, his spirit is worshiping God. He's not up there fishing with Uncle Harvey. And I say that to say this. We need to teach our young people the reality, the biblical reality of death and what it means. You know, it is a positive thing for a believer. We are in the presence of God and Christ. We do enjoy joy unspeakable and full of glory. But it's not like we're up there with our attention diverted. How, how could your attention be diverted from God or Christ? It's impossible. Be biblical in your encouragement. And then finally, the last anchor, reflect upon the praise of God. And I could have listed just a, a ton of verses uh, under this. I did not uh, because of time. But look at verses 16 through 19. Reflect upon the praise of God. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Psalm 28, 6 and 7 is the one other text that I'll share with you. Blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. And with my song, I will praise him. Praise to God during the hardest trials of life is the surest way to glorify him and heal your wounded heart. Praise to God during the hardest trials of life is the surest way to glorify him and heal your wounded heart. It evidences submission to his sovereign will. And beloved, praise to God is both a gift of grace and a choice. He will enable you to praise him. You have to choose to do it. And one way to do it is through song. In a moment, we're going to sing our closing hymn. And the closing hymn tonight is, Does Jesus Care? The last verse asks this, Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you take what I have said tonight and use it as you see fit. We want to acknowledge that everyone is different in how they deal with grief, and we want to be sensitive to that. We want to be used of you to be an encouragement to come alongside uh, to those who are grieving and just encourage them. Uh, Father, I thank you that you strengthened my voice to be able to share these truths. I pray that we take them with us. We do pray for Bonnie and her family. We also continue to pray for BJ's family and others that we have lost and will will lose, Lord, in the near future, that you would just bless as only you can, and we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.